This episode is sponsored by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much for your continued support. If you're not a member yet, you can join our Patreon for as low as $1 per month to support the cast and crew of the Bardic College. Unlock bonus content featuring your favorite players, get exclusive access to shows you can't find anywhere else, and even get a chance to have Raz run a game of your choice. Visit us online at patreon.com slash thebardiccollege. Hello, Jack Cavendish here. Wanted to take a few moments to speak with you about something I'm quite passionate about. Lurking fears. <laughs> if you love Cthulhu and Cairo and want to feel the same dread, terror, and occasional triumph, make sure to check out Lurking Fears when you head out to your next gaming convention. With a wonderful group of demented and wildly gifted storytellers, Lurking Fears is able to weave tales that will haunt your dreams and steal your sanity, which is something I know all too well. While specializing in Call of Cthulhu, Lurking Fears also runs a host of games from a variety of other systems, so there's literally an adventure for your every taste and style. They're committed to running heavy RPG adventures, which are driven by the narrative and, of course, by the player's choices. So do check out their Facebook page and make sure you follow them to find out which gaming conventions they will be at next. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Well... It looks as if Faye is jumping headlong into yet another nightmare scenario. And if I know anything about this Keeper Raz, it's that we're likely facing hell on a horse with us under hoof. So I'd best load my weapons and head over to lend a gun, or two, just to keep the odds even. You're listening to a 7th edition Call of Cthulhu podcast titled Cthulhu in Cairo, brought to you by the Bardic College. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to the show to receive notifications as our future episodes release. You can visit us on Facebook at the Bardic College. Viewer discretion is advised. Good evening again, and welcome to another episode of Cthulhu in Cairo. I'm Raz, and the whole team is with me, and we are heading... Most of us are heading over to London, Vadim with his two children in tow, or as the radio message transmitted the other day said, with the little packages and a big package. And the ladies are on their way to Trenton, and they will be up in the air momentarily. And they are heading first to Nova Scotia and then to England. Catherine has been a little concerned, but she has started drinking because she wasn't sure what she had to do to pay for the plane fare. But we believe we've sorted all that out. Uh, Mr. Aller just, <laughs> he's a pretty nice guy. Didn't think it was that big of a deal, but Catherine just wanted to make sure everything was above board. So it was sort of like signing her life away, I guess, to like the guy at the, the crossroads. But anyway, um, we're going to start with, let, why don't we just let the girls get to Trenton, uh, take the plane, go. Bottom, you're going to be arriving in Madrid. That's It's just going to be a layover. It's just really no big deal. So the real the real RP for the, those three will be, uh, four rather, will be in London. But uh, listeners, here's what happens in Trenton. Ladies, you arrive by one of the cars from the Cobalt Club. They send a really ostentatious stretch of some thing with these big chrome pipes out the side and a long sleek nose and a rumble seat although that's you know where they put the luggage and they get you down to Trenton and the plane is there and it's actually it's very nice for its for for the time it's two engine looks like it would be something that would hold probably 14 15 people plus the pilot and co-pilot it's dark colored paint though like it's like really it's not just metal it's this like charcoal gray with um this black lining, you know, detailing around the sides of it and down by the the tail fins and everything. And as you approach, as, as the car pulls up and 
the the chauffeur gets out and lets the ladies out and then starts taking their luggage. Uh, the door to the plane opens and out steps Mr. Allard. And he comes walking down and he's like, ladies, excellent. I see you were able to get packed in time. I appreciate your punctuality. It's uh, for the first leg of our, our flight. We're going to be just going to Nova Scotia and then staying over at one of my houses there. If, if that works for all of the three of you, let me get you on board. Uh, unless there's any last minute things you need. There is the airport does have, uh, if you need a room to freshen up, otherwise we'll hopefully be wheels up in about 20 minutes. Wheels up is good. I'm good. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is amazing. Uh, you totally did not have to uh, hand deliver us. This is wonderful. You are a true gentleman and scholar. Um, listen, we are, as we've been putting the pieces together, we realize that what you've been dealing with is probably a little bit more important than we originally thought. I'd be amiss not to bring you to London myself. Oh, thank you, Marcus. The chauffeur comes over and he takes off his jacket and puts on a black bomber's jacket and he hands him a headset and he puts that leather headset on with the, with the plug and he goes, oh, it's been a while since I've flown, but it'll come right back to me, I'm sure. And he starts making his way to the plane. Uh, hey, um, how long would you quantify a while being? I trust you. I'm just curious. Two, three months. I turn to Ella because she's a pilot and I'm like, is that a long time? Is that okay? Uh, is it in my in my brief knowledge of piloting? If you didn't get in the car for two months, could you drive? Might be a little rusty, but... Okay, then he's a little rusty. Okay. <laughs> All right, then. I I'm okay. I'm just like... It's not, it's, it's not comforting when you hear the person that's about to operate the mode of transportation that you're about to get on be like, huh, it's been a while. Well, saddle up, everyone. Things you don't want your pilot to say. Mm -hmm. He's fine. Look at him. He's he's all charm. Is there a co-pilot? You haven't seen one yet. So you're starting to get your things on board, uh, but the chauffeur is carrying a lot of it over to the plane for you. I'm helping. And you, you hear this... <laughs> the engines start growling, right? Coming to life. And out the top of the plane, a pole starts to elevate itself to a 90-degree angle. And this pole is 12 feet high above the plane itself. These four propellers come out of the pole oh. at the top of the plane, like a helicopter. Oh, I'm scared of helicopters. And then... What is... It starts whipping air everywhere. And he comes back to the door and he goes, we're all set here. Come on aboard. Uh, okay. Be there. Give me one second. And I just kind of do just a little... I just cross myself. Faye's not that religious, but, you know, it, it can't hurt. Right. You know? And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get on the plane helicopter i don't like what kind of plane is it it's not a plane you think that's a plane i don't know what that this man is so goddamn rich i wouldn't be shocked if he made this himself yeah right you are miss dawson ah oh, oh, great <laughs> <laughs> okay so you designed it you're an engineer what would you say is the safest seat on this plane uh where you to say it when? the one close to the bay door so you can jump out if you need if need be great shotgun no, no, darling. The the bay, it's by the side. Oh, uh, backseat? So a heliplane is what this is called. And it's designed to do tremendous amount of, well, if we need to become very mobile in, it, in, in, in the air, if we need to make maneuvers, the heliplane can do great things because not only can it keep me elevated and stable at one height, I can kill this engine, free fall kick it back on where regular engines won't be able to get enough air to do that. Mr. Allard, so what can... do you think we're going to need to be doing as we fly to Nova Scotia? So I'm going back to a thing that the shadow had, which was the heliplane. 
And it was a special thing that supposedly they designed for him and everything. So yes, Kent Allard has the heliplane like the shadow does. You've never seen anything like it. It it was totally a comic book makeup thing. Yeah, it's all just very a pulpy type. It sounds spooky ooky, but okay. Look, as long as we get there in one piece. I'm going to go back to my question, Mr. Allard. What do Ms. you Ross. think we need to be like... I thought we were just flying to Nova Scotia. Why do we need mobility? Miss Ross, I don't know if you're still sober enough to remember all the things that have been going on in your life over these last several months. What makes you think I'm not? <laughs> well, you only are wearing one shoe. So <laughs> I was thinking that maybe the flask oh. in your left hand <laughs> and the fact that you're only wearing one shoe and it's a slipper indicated that you might not be in the most sober of mindsets. Dawson, you let me leave the house like this. <laughs> oh, what? I'm supposed to control everything that you do? God damn it, woman. Footwear? You're the most You're the most able out of the three of us. I didn't think I had to watch you like a baby. At least I'm the one that wore a shoe. I wore both shoes, actually. <sighs> and, and on the right foot feet, Miss Walcott, I'm very impressed. If I remember this moment. So you all get on the plane. He does explain to you a little bit about how he's very interested in aeronautics. That's great. This is something that he had whipped up. So in the center of where you'd be sitting is this shaft, the engine's underneath, and it rotates really fast. So there's a little, like, don't touch that, but you can sit everywhere else. But don't put your hands on that if it's spinning. It's a bad thing. But it's exposed. Because he's really... So it's yeah, like a, a cylinder of doom in the center of the plane? Well, it's, it, 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 drives the, it drives the blades. Just don't touch the shit. If you touch it, it's greased. I mean, it's, it's just going to burn your hand at the, at the speed it's moving. Oh. Just don't do that. Don't like use it for a support. Don't hug it. Don't just leave it. Just cool. let it spin. And we're off. And man, it takes altitude so fast. So much faster. But it's like, shit, up in the air it goes. You feel the pit of your stomach goes, exhilarating, no? And just this Catherine scream as you uh -huh. leave your, right, as you start to leave Trenton and take off like a bat out of hell. Okay. My lunch. <laughs> my, my lunch. As I'm trying to say, like, oh, I'm literally in raptures because yes, I have found a passion for flying during this campaign and this is a great invention and she's like aptly listening to anything Alan has to say and she's asking him questions like really getting to know his interests and learning how to fly one of these things but not actually touching it I don't know if that makes any sense it, it makes some sense so I'm doing something real quick hold on no you're not let's yes, stop you know what it sounds so good maybe we should go to Kenya so Scott, was it a helio? Was a was it a helio plane or a gyro? Uh, was it a gyro plane? Gyro. What he called it? Gyro plane. Yep. I may use the wrong word. Okay. Yep. Why are you looking up to see what they look like when they crash? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, all right, we move on. Ladies, are you continually tired even after a good night's sleep? Do you feel run down in the middle of the afternoon? Does the thought of your children returning from school fill you with dread and visions of Dante's Inferno? Have you found the ring of your husband's death side bell alerting you to his every need now grates on your every nerve? Help is on the way. The answer is convenient at your local supermarket and just waiting to relieve your tensions. Phosphorine wine. That's right. With ample and continual application of this tasty medicinal beverage, Fatigue, depression, and general dissatisfaction will be replaced with zip, zing, and energy that lasts throughout the day. Simply start each morning with a glass of phosphorine wine. 
a glass with lunch, mid-afternoon with your evening meal, liberal applications when with family, and watch your cares evaporate in a haze of wellness and good cheer. Here's what Mrs. D. Walbash of Putrid, Ontario had to say about phosphorine wine. I've never felt so alive. It's the damnedest thing. It even makes being a homemaker bearable again. Who needs personal interests or a career when you can cradle this gallon-sized bottle of perfection all day long? And this testimonial from Mr. C.C. Simmons of Scungee, Wyoming. Ever since I purchased phosphorine wine for my wife, she's been an absolute gem around the house. Doesn't even complain or go... Go mad when I go to poker with the guys several times a week. To top it off, our nine-year-old Missy has now become the best under-12 cook in all of Cannock County. Thanks, Phosphorine Wine, for giving me my life back. Seem too incredible to be believed? It's not. You, too, can become a liquid squid and enjoy every day with Phosphorine Wine. Phosphorine wine is 45% alcohol by volume, is highly addictive and habit-forming, filled with vitamins and minerals, and an excellent source of cocaine. Look for Phosphorine wine in all your best supermarkets, liquor stores, bodegas, and corner shops. Phosphorine wine, mommy's new little helper. Back to, uh, let's do, let's do Vadim, and we'll give Jack a little bit of time just to figure out what he's doing. Vadim, uh, the Madrid landing is smooth. The kids are fine. Everybody's was good. Just as a, a quick note, when I would have gotten the um, the final flight information, I would have communicated that to the girls. Okay. So they know where to meet me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I understand. Absolutely. No problem. The You're talking about in London. Yeah. That's fine. The, the plane lands in Madrid with no problem. You're kept at a hotel very nearby the airport. Uh, Madrid is a pretty big hub at this point. It's one of those like... 20 airports out in you know all around Europe that they actually get you know decent amount of traffic. Is there like a car waiting for me takes us to the hotel that type of thing? Yep. Uh, so like everything is arranged. Everything is arranged. It's just like when you landed with Gustav. The only difference is the pilot you see him, you know, you if you wait a few minutes being who you are and knowing that things can go awry, uh he locks the plane down like they park the plane, they chuck the wheels. Uh the fuel truck comes over and fuels them for the morning, but other than that he locks the the doors. Everything seems to be secured and then he you know, see you in the morning, 9 a.m. And he just gets into a car himself and he t- he's taken away. He grabs a cab and he goes to get wherever he's sleeping for the night. Yeah, everything appears to be normal. Like, the, there's nobody else even, the, the people that are on this flight, barely, you know, they're Portuguese. They've been speaking a lot of Portuguese, but they only have one small bag with them. So anything else they would have had has been left on the plane for the night. It's fine. I'm just focusing on keeping the kids calm and everything's normal. We just have to make a stopover in London. I've never been to London. Neither have I. It'll be the first time for both of us. I didn't know I wanted to see London. I liked Lisbon. You will find the world is a big place. I've, I've studied about London. I can speak a little English, your daughter says. I know certain words. If we meet a dog or a cat. <laughs> Bottom just chuckles, pinches her cheek. <laughs> and then says, you're an idiot. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you need more words than dog and cat. <laughs> Um, but that's good. No, she's, yeah, she's like, I can Where is the library? That is one of the big ones, learning languages. Where's the library? Ah, yes. Right after bathroom. Bathroom usually goes first. <laughs> yeah, so the hotel room is fine. Not nearly as nice as the first place you stayed. It's more of an airport hotel. You've been in nicer ones, like the one in, um, not Budapest, Prague. Prague was really nice, but there's nothing wrong with it. It's, you know, three stars. 
it's it's clean it's it's convenient and you know there's they have dinner laid out for for the ho- for they know that people are coming from the airport because the airport works with them it's one of their hotels so they have they have a buffet laid out of all kinds of foods the kids as like kids are they're ravenous they eat i would be watching everybody else all the other passengers just making you know seeing if there's anybody on their own if they're all paired off do they know people or any anything out of the ordinary um my attention right now would be on my kids and on the possibility that we are being followed. Go ahead and give me a spot hidden roll. Sure. See if you if just for the following. That oh gosh, I got so excited when I saw the zero zero followed by another zero. That is a one hundred. Yeah, those are special. Yeah. Okay. The good news is you're not. You don't think you're being followed <laughs> at all, which is good. <laughs> You better hope you're really not. <laughs> I, I really thought that you were going to follow it up with, you know, you're being followed. I thought it was going to be like, everybody on the plane seems completely guilty. You are paranoid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're leaving, kids. <laughs> you believe your son is a plant from Mueller? Uh, no. This... <laughs> you little blonde bastard. Um... <laughs> if I was Joel, you would have done that. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> Joel's got a whole plate of love coming um, with an extra helping of with mac and cheese. The um, you're yeah, you you don't think anything's wrong. The the the, the people that are on there, it's two sisters uh, and a married couple. They are not they don't appear related. They have talked because they're all they're both the four of them are Portuguese. Uh, your kids have told you intermittently what they're talking about. Like it's they're excited. You know, this first time to like our first time going to Madrid and then to London and then they're going to Paris. So they're actually making two stops. Um, that, but they want to see Paris. Uh, that's where the married couple is going, and the younger kids are heading off to London themselves. They've been accepted at university. They're 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 girls. They're about a year apart. One waited for the other one to be accepted. They're just, and they're not going to like the greatest schools in London or anything. But they've been accepted abroad in London, and they're living with going to be living with an English family. So their family obviously has some money. They're they're pretty connected. But yeah, Th- but that's it's it's very innocuous. So I'm feeling at ease. Nothing, yeah, very calm. Nothing nothing bad at all. The next morning. The uh, breakfast is served at, from six to seven thirty. You're back on the in the car by eight thirty, the latest, and to the airport. You know, with twenty minutes to spare because it's only ten minutes down the road. Unless something, unless you want to tell, tell the kids something or explain a little bit about what's been going on in your life, or ask more questions about what happened in Lisbon, um, we'll just assume that you're heading, you're on your way to the airport. But if you want to go back to the evening and talk about that stuff, that's fine. I would, I mean, my focus of of talk with the kids right now would just be on, you know, a little bit about myself so they can start to learn about me, but really more focusing on them unless I start scratching surfaces that seem like they are, you know, not good because it doesn't seem like their life was exactly, you know, you know, roaring along there in Lisbon. So um, I don't, uh, I want to focus on positive futures. Yeah. uh, And again, it wasn't Oliver Twist. But it wasn't it wasn't perfect, like you said. Yeah, he wasn't they Fagan, were, but he was. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, but but they were definitely they were they were living if they sold everything to to make up what wasn't coming in. But they were never left without medicine. They were never left without food. I mean, they weren't beaten. These they were just hey, you know, there's a price to be paid here, and no one's making that payment. Yeah. So we're gonna sell some of the things that your mother had. Yeah. But after a while, Adam, hearing the conversations and and the things that they that they tell you about. And your your daughter opens up a little bit earlier than your son does. But when she starts talking about how the things started to be, you know, what they took first and, 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 and they said they never did it without their, you know, they really had no way of saying no, but they always said that they never took it and stole it and sold it. 
it was always, listen, you know, this is what your mother paid. We don't know what's going on. The money has stopped. We're trying to keep you safe. We're going to take this. We're going to take this hope chest. And the, they, the kids were like, always, it was okay. But you started, you start to get this sense that perhaps they were also erasing their past. Like they made sure never to speak to them or let them talk in Russian. Whenever they spoke in Russian, they got corrected to each other even. So they had to make whispers and, and do that. They, it was like they were almost re-getting rid of anything that was left of their background and their lives. They were removing it, trying to get it so that if anybody ever came into the house and saw them, they would never slip into a different tongue, never raise questions. Like they were really programming them like, oh, that fashion, I've never seen that look, you know, that I don't, those shoes, where'd you get those shoes? None, everything that they could eliminate, they were eliminating and they were doing it systematically. Once your, once your wife died, there were, they, no one was arguing against it. Like the kids didn't stop it. They just thought they had to pay the bill. I, I think the thing that Vodham would pick up on most would be the fact that through these actions, the kids obviously knew you know, there was no there was no pretense of like, oh, your mom lived here. We were friends, you know, this and that. You're just normal kids. There was some arrangement. There was money coming to pay for things. There was, you know, so that, um, you know, the kids didn't have a pretense of some sort of normal life there that they knew there was something abnormal about it. I, I think I think that's the things that Vonham would pick up on and try to use as like his leverage for lack of a better term you know to to sort of uh start separating them from the notion of lisbon and their former lives and getting them used to the idea that that you know things are going to be better and things are going to get back to the way they should be he's so your son aslan says and then when the gold was all gone a mother's few pieces of jewelry she had and the and the the last of her her belongings and her mirror and silver comb that she said was not worth much, but they took that anyway. Then it became, I had to, to do those things for him at the warehouse to help him out. And this paid a bulk of what we did. And Anna did some sewing and things after school for lo for the local women, just to make some extra coins. They said that as long as we did these things, we would be safe and we would be okay. And I, I think I believed them, but it was, it was something always made me feel uncomfortable. Something always made me feel a little nervous. There was nothing that you did wrong, Aslan. You were looking after your sister, trying to be the man, and I appreciate that. I don't want you to feel at all like this is something you have done, something you should have done or didn't do. That comb was quite special to your mother. It, uh, it, was, uh, it was handed down in her family, and she was always very proud of how she looked when she put her hair up. So very beautiful when she did that. It's very um, hard to hear of these things being lost, Aslan, but they are just things. Your mother would know that first. They are uh, truly not important. It, uh, that what is important is the three of us here and now. That would make her, her heart sing to know that the three of us have been reunited and that, that you are safe with me. She said you'd come back, but... She, and you, your daughter Anna goes, Aslan, no. And he's... But he needs to know. I mean, we're all ta we're just talking. We're just sharing here. This is what it is. She says, but not now. Father is back. That's all that matters. Fine. Another day then. And he kind of just puts his head on the pillow and just, just looks up at the ceiling. I let it lie. All right. The next morning you're on the plane. 
the pilot does everything, you know, everything goes exactly as planned. Engine starts up with no problem. You guys get put on on board. You're up in the air by about 20 after nine and, and, and cooking for London. You should be arriving sometime at around 4 p.m., 3 p.m. The girls will be landing on their side at about five. And uh, that's where we'll get back to London in a, in a minute. So, Jack, last we left the medicine man of the, uh, or witch doctor medicine man of the tribe, Sektu had asked you to stay in the hut. Just just bear with what's going on, that the brew, the concoction he made you would soon wear off, uh, but that he needed to take care of something. Yep. So it, it's about, what's your con, uh, Jack? What's your con- constitution? 85. Okay, go ahead and make me a roll, please. 81. Oof, I just close. I just made it. Just made that sucker. All right. So this lasts about 90 minutes. You're you're there and all these things finally start to stop moving. Like the bone, the skeleton bone is no longer sitting there in front of you, kind of just like it, it must have been some sort of a either an asp or a cobra. It had that that sinuous sort of glide to it, the skeleton right. as it as it perched up in front of you and kind of it, you can see on the ground because it's soft earth, right? It's just been patted down, but it's left these little scars where the the riblets all along the length of its its body uh, down the central spine. It's just kind of almost like a, a millipede has left a, thousands of these little dents into the ground as it was sl- slithering and moving along. The smell inside the the brew is still cooking, so this smell is very strong in here and everything. And um, you hear Cavendish, Cavendish, what do you see? I look around. Cavendish, are they not moving? He's obviously not in the hut now. He's maybe he's further away. No, no, they're they're not moving anymore. Where are you? Where are you, Sector? We're outside, outside the hut. If you hear me and they are not moving, you can come out, Cavendish. I look around myself again. No, there's nothing moving, right? No. I stand up and I slowly walk out of the tent, tent, and sort of emerge out of the tent. I put on the goggles on as I as I go to look up. Everyone's face, arms, legs are painted skeletal. They've taken lime and water and they have coated their faces to look like a death mask, what their representation of the skull would be in their style of art. And then down their forearms, they've created the bone to the hand and then down the front of their, 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 their legs towards their feet. So they've, been, they've painted each other. And they're lining the road. What, this entire village? About 40 people, 50 people. And he comes walking up and he says, Cavendish, you live between two worlds now. And until we can find a way to bring you fully back to this one, you walk the night. You walk with the walk of the Bojo. And you're Bojo. And they all stomp their feet. And they kind of throw their arms out forward at you. But the Bojo don't belong here. Not right now. The Bojo can't be here. Crops will fail. Children get sick. Milk will sour. Bojo! And they all stamp their feet again. Walk this way, Cavendish. Walk with me. So he starts walking backwards away from you, and he's asking you to come forward. All right. Um, My shoulders are sort of slumping, but uh, I follow him sort of resigned. Okay. As soon as you mar- get past the first couple that are that are yelling Bojo, they turn their backs. Okay, so they they turn their back and they sit. So the image of the of the dead pushing you away, the image of these spirits and kind of flicking their hands at you as you walk past, 
then become no paint on the backside of their bodies. And then they hunch down and they get really small. And you've seen other rituals and ceremonies like this. And it feels almost the reverse of when it like, they, they look almost infantile. They look small, like they're fetal. They're really tiny. So you're trying to piece together the logic. What's your, what's your intelligence? 85. That's really high. Wow. Okay. Go ahead and, and, and hit me with it. Roll, make a roll for that. I'm 61. It's a yeah, regular so, success. Regular. So this is some sort of positional of life to death, right? The death are, the dead are, are trying to move you away from the other living people. And the living are showing themselves as small, like infants or children, afraid. And you're not sure if they're if if it's their mimic if this ritual is mimicking death to birth in reverse because of where you're stuck, or if they're just trying to get the other the, the all the spirit that would be following you this mat this darkness this curse that you've been that's been put upon you, if they're trying to drive it away from you and then offer you know, just be as small as they can be unseen by the evil around you. So there's, there's interpretations to this, right? The way this is, this is forming, but it keeps it's every couple of feet. And they, they just, and some of them get right up close to your face when they say it, right? They big face you with that. And they're like, and they just keep trying to scare you down the road. Like keep walking, keep walking. I, I say to him, why, why are you doing this to me? I came to you for help. Why are you shunning me? Why are you pushing me away? I was raised as one of you. We have to. If you were ra- you were raised by us, if you're speaking with the voice of Cavendish, you know why. What what must happen if one is sick among the herd of the tribe? What must happen to that one? We keep moving, we keep walking. Do we keep the slow? Do we keep the injured? Do we keep the infirm? Bojo. No. Come with me, Cavendish. You must keep walking for the good of the tribe. I stand there for a couple seconds trying to sort of work this out in my brain. Essentially, they're telling me I have to go, can never come back. They're all turning their backs on me. That's how it feels. He hasn't helped me with anything. And it feels like they're just spurning me. And they're saying that the only th- the only answer is basically, I'm the weak part of the herd that needs to die off. That's, well, that's probably the interpretation you're getting from your head. Yeah, that's very, very I mean, it does, it does appear that way. Yeah, they, he truly believes that the poison in you, the fact that you don't need to sleep, that you told him, the injury you sustained, that you're not sure these were even men that harmed you, and then the appearance of your eyes all indicates that you are either, like, you saw the dead move. When he gave you that potion to push the veil close, you were able to see the dead still writhing, the dead things still moving. So you're able to kind of bridge that gap in their world, which means that if you're able to do that, think about what that means for the uh, this side. You can see their side. Can they see through you to this side? Can they can they use your eyes? So all of the superstition, bro, is 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 tough, right? They don't. He has no cure for your eyes right now. Doesn't mean he won't keep looking for one. Doesn't mean he won't try to experiment. But tonight he's got to get the villagers calm. I look at him with an even like an even glance, and sort of a coldness comes over me, and I say. If you will not help me and you will spurn me, then I will spurn you and all of your people will leave my land. And I walk away. Okay. Yeah. You make your way to the truck. Mama Kenda's got tears pouring down her face. She was not one of the ones painted. She's standing outside her hut. I turn and I look back at all of them and I said, I came to you 
I came to you for help. I came to you as a brother, as a child, as one of you. This does not help me. This does not make me one of you. This turns me away. You will need to make this right. You will need to find me. And you will need to fix this with me. You have broken our bond. And I take the thing out of my pocket that I gave to Mama Kenda. I said, you are the one that have broken our link together. And I break it in my hand and throw it on the ground. You find the path back to me when you have the faith to believe that I am not evil, but that I have been beset by evil and that only you can help me. Everybody's just, they're on the ground small. He's just standing there and he says, I never thought you would speak to us that way, Cavendish. Are you sure you don't know the Bojo? I never thought you'd turn your back on me. I've known nothing but you people since I was a child. This is not how one human being cares for another. I am not an animal on the plains to be put down. I put down animals. We are many. You are one. How would you have us fix this? How would you have us fix what we did not make? You are broken, Cavendish. And then I will fix myself. Because you are not the man I thought you were. And I walk past him and I leave. And I don't look back. All right. I think we'll call it there for tonight. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cthulhu in Cairo. You can like, share, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The music you're listening to is Return of the Mummy by the great Kevin McLeod. Join us next time to see where our intrepid explorers find themselves next.